in the next few months, we'll be adding produce prescriptions to our menu of options that we can offer patients that connect food into their more traditional healthcare services. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, it won't come as a surprise to anyone that we're going to talk about food because we usually talk about food, either how it's grown or, or what we do with it and how it's consumed. Um, we're going to focus on both food and wellness, which are connected, which leads to another subject we're going to touch on, too, and that is food as medicine. And uh, I'm really happy to welcome Edie Kuyper, who is the food and wellness manager for the Communicare Food Program. And uh, Edie, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thank you, Roger. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here, and I'm happy to talk about food again, which is one of my favorite things, and how it's good for us. And, and Edie, to get to be the manager of focusing on food and wellness, it can't be much better than that. I mean, you could possibly throw in farming, and I think we'll touch on the fact that you have uh, connections with how that food is grown and how people see that it's grown all the way to food and wellness, but it must be a nice area to be involved with. It's very nice. Most days, the days where I get to get my hands dirty and spend some time in our garden, I'm one of the rare clinic manager positions who actually gets to work in a garden and manage a farmer in addition to diabetes educators and other more traditional clinical staff. So Boy, yeah, I can't uh, complain. You know what? There are farmers that listen to the podcast, I know, and there are people that want to be farmers, but, but we're all eaters. And so from this perspective that you're telling a story about how the role food has to play and good nutrition has to play and, and health, but go back and actually get to the point that you're getting your hands dirty. That's a really, really unique perspective. Many of the doctors that are prescribing medicines to us certainly aren't uh, going to the rainforest in Brazil or anywhere and trying to sourcing that source of uh, whatever's going to make people well. You go out into a garden and the gardens that you have and what you're showing you're producing, you, you're really getting your hands on something that can make people healthier than if they weren't enjoying those foods, right? Right. We just want to make it really clear that the whole process of growing, uh, processing, preparing food and enjoying it is, is part of that health experience and, and can really be integral to managing our health from day to day. So much of what we expect to get in a clinical setting is the medicine and the recommendations from those that, you know, we traditionally in our society view as the experts on health, but we're really trying to revise that so that all of the people accessing the healthcare are the experts themselves. We're all experts in our own health experiences. We all know our bodies better than any provider, or any person who's going to be spending, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes with us every couple of months, or maybe even every couple of years, depending on how frequently we get to the healthcare center. You know, we got to take a couple minutes here, I think, to let our <laughs> listeners get this into focus. 
because oftentimes they can imagine a type of food production, for example. They can see mm -hmm. fields or ranches or farms and so forth. Maybe they can, you know, pretty quickly get into perspective restaurants. But let's take a minute or two and explain what are Communicare health centers and, yeah. and then we'll build into the program. Okay. So Communicare Health Centers is a nonprofit network of community health centers in Yolo County, California. And when you mentioned those um, farm landscapes, that's a real important part of what Yolo County is. We're um, an agricultural hub in a state that is an agricultural hub itself. But um, not only is there a lot of production in Yolo County, there's also all of that expertise coming out of UC Davis and um, Woodland and the, you know, what some people call the food front within Woodland, connecting those industries to the research and to the fields. And then there's the healthcare piece. So Communicare um, is part of a national and then also statewide um system of federally qualified health centers and all of our health centers are also migrant health centers so we agree um, part of our our commitment is to serve the the community to serve anyone who needs health care services regardless of their ability to pay or their insurance status and in many regards we're the safety net healthcare system that exists in, in our community and then also um, is available in other communities as well with our, our sister health centers across the state and the nation. So uh, across the nation, um, mm -hmm. is it in most states, most areas? I, I don't know exact numbers or anything. All states have federally qualified health centers. Yeah. Uh -huh. And and their purpose is to particularly focus on underserved communities? Uh, is that exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the designations existed for a few decades, and the the concept really originated in um, the 1960s. Um, I think there have been free clinics probably throughout the <laughs> throughout humanity as long as we've existed as humans. There have been people who have provided healthcare, but um, making that something that the federal government reimburses has existed for the past few decades. Now, do states supplement it too? Is it some state funding as well, or is it all federal, do you think? So most of our funding is actually, um, like any other health center, it's from insurance. So we bill Medi-Cal primarily. Most of the patients that that we serve at Communicare Health Centers, and, and our health centers are located in Woodland, West Sacramento, and Davis, all three of the largest uh, cities in, in Riolo County. Um about 60 to 70% of our patients are Medicaid um, participants. And in California, we call that Medi-Cal. Um, so that's how we get the majority of our funding. And then we get a small grant, um, we're relatively small, to cover the cost of providing services to those patients who are not insured, who don't have um, insurance that we can bill. Now, right off the bat, when I think of centers like that, mm -hmm. I assume it's places that have... Um, doctors and nurses uh, and someone that might not ordinarily have access to a, maybe a regular doctor or any regular one that they're going to all the time. I'm not that these aren't regular doctors, but that that you could go see a medical professional that might not otherwise uh, you know, be available to you. Would that, would that be typically that there would be doctors and, and nurses in most of these centers across the country? Yeah, so um, just like any other health center, we we have uh, um, a, a lead physician at each site. There's multiple 
medical doctors and then um, other primary care providers who have different licensure, like physician's assistants and uh, family nurse practitioners who also see panels of patients. So um, it's a, in terms of the patient population, it's a variety of people who may see the um, provider less frequently than maybe someone who had um, more stable insurance, or um, it's people who have um, participated in a uh, publicly funded insurance program for a long time and are um, been, you know, have been getting their healthcare services from community care doctors and um, primary care providers for decades. So some of them are quite regular in their attendance and um, it's really a wide variety. And we see that with our food programs too. So I know um, we're here to talk more specifically about our food programs, but with um, our efforts, we we work with a variety of people with a variety of food experiences, and we really try to meet people where they are and to build on their expertise. So we have migrant farm workers who have been working with agriculture and experts in that area and, and have so much to offer our programs whose expertise we also want to celebrate. We often feel like um, a lot of the services that are provided to low-income communities are from more of a deficit perspective. And our goal is to come in and, and um, build on those strengths that the community members come with, especially related so, to food. Yeah. So it seems like this is where we get to something that's different. And I think that for many people, when they look at this, is that it's not somebody just sick and comes in and wants to get well. And can you prescribe something for me to get to get well? But you're getting more proactive and and not strictly treating the diseases or whatever the conditions are. But uh, the frontier seems to be, uh, you know, what does food have to do with it? Uh, what does the diet have to do with it? And in, in, in which case that takes you into not only talking about food, but in your particular case, uh, having gardens and demonstrations of how you can grow your food or how you could at least appreciate it to be able to prepare your own foods better and giving ideas of incorporating food and or possibly the growing of food into a, a, a proactive sort of approach. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that really builds on the expertise of community health centers, because for our entire existence, I mentioned our organization or our type of organization goes back to the 60s. Our specific organization goes back 50 years. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary last year. And because we're working with a low-income population that um, often does encounter lots of different barriers to not only healthcare but to um, just being able to live to their full potential, um, often because of low resources. We've been working to provide a lot of other services that might not be part of what you'd expect in a healthcare setting. So, for example, we've had our um, enrollment specialist, or in our instance, we call them client benefit advocates who connect patients with, with, um, in California, again, we have a special name for everything, but CalFresh. So, SNAP, or um, what was previously known as the food stamp program, you can come into a health center and get enrolled in, in CalFresh. Um, and I think that's just one example of how we're going beyond those basic um, healthcare specific needs to meet the whole person's needs and to provide them with things that are going to benefit their health. So what we're adding on is this food component to make sure that 
we're using our resources as a health center to the full um, um, potential. We um, established our first garden at our Hanson Family Wellness Center in um, in Woodland, California, because there was a, I think it was a um, about a half acre of undeveloped pro property. Actually, it was a three quarter acre lot that hadn't been developed in the five years since the clinic was originally built. So we took a portion of that, a quarter of an acre total, and turned it into a food producing garden. And now that garden is not only producing food that we distribute in the clinic waiting room, it's also a place where we conduct our cooking classes. We have an outdoor classroom where patients can come together to participate in cooking classes, to participate in a substance use disorder uh, treatment group, or um, staff often are um, having their lunches outdoors in that setting. It's just a, a place for people to come together and be outside in a welcoming space that um, doesn't feel like a hospital. I mean, I think that our, our health centers are, are welcoming and are pleasant to the extent that they can be. But I have to say that personally, I came to this um, with no experience in healthcare and and some aversion to healthcare, um, prior experience um, in hospitals with sick parents, just not really wanting to be in that atmosphere, and then um, being able to add this outdoor space where patients can get some of the healthcare services they would otherwise get indoors. Um, I, I connect to that, and I, I know that other patients do as well, and um, I think that it's a real exciting frontier, like you mentioned, that we can help explore and um, find ways that work in our settings. You know, I could imagine that one thing that happens is people come in and perhaps are diagnosed with having uh, pre-diabetes, maybe not they're not, not diabetic, for example. And it would make sense that a doctor would be suggesting what they could do. Well, part of things they could do without having your garden present is that they can do a, maybe a better job of shopping with SNAP funds. So when they're they're going to stores, they could be making smarter choices uh, that are going to be helping them with their pre-diabetic condition or you know a blood pressure, you know obesity issues and 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 so forth. But then, what's the advantage of actually having gardens uh, that are growing the product? Uh, because, again, they do have the possibility of using SNAP funds to go buy vegetables at, at a store. But what's the, the role you see for having an actual garden associated with a, with a health center? In our instance, I feel like it's a chance for us to expand on what healthcare can be. So there's a whole um, area of work called horticultural therapy where the growing of food is actually used as a form of therapy. And I should back up and mention that the services we offer are not just primary care services. So it's not just the physical body that are, is treated in our um, healthcare settings. We offer behavioral health services and dental care services in addition to the primary care. So um, by connecting that behavioral and mental health care with the garden. I think, I think it really brings in the whole person in a way that um, if it was just an outpatient physical um, care only setting, we, we might not um, get to. But we do think that there's a lot of um, 
like I mentioned, therapeutical benefits that you can gain from gardening. There's more and more evidence to back that up too. We also um, use the garden as a place to demonstrate how other people can grow food. So in addition to distributing food that's grown in the garden, we also distribute vegetable starts that are grown there. And then we have classes, like I mentioned, the cooking classes where people can learn how to use both produce that's grown in the garden or that they're growing themselves or that they access from the store from more traditional outlets. We definitely don't want to create any kind of hierarchy where it has to be homegrown or it has to be um, grown from this setting or another. Um, we're just trying to promote fruits and vegetables and make people um, aware of some of the benefits that they can offer to their health and some of the benefits that, like I mentioned before, growing, preparing that food can also offer in a more therapeutic and a more holistic sense than, than just those um, uh, micronutrient or um, mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory benefits you might get from eating certain produce items. Well, I think you admitted to having it have a positive impact on yourself at the very beginning of this when you were saying it gives you a good reason to get outside, get in the fresh air, get the sunshine, get your hands dirty. And and I suppose it can go all the way to some people that may be dealing with depression or other sorts of issues that that uh, finding out that they can, they can have this activity. And it, again, like I say, more than just what the nutrients are doing for their, for their health, uh, their whole attitude can be affected. Yeah, we've absolutely seen that. And we have a um, great testimonial, actually a video on our website that I could refer you to later um, of an individual who's just become so involved in our programs and whose help we really rely on now. But um it can definitely speak to that and the health benefits in his own life. And do you find that most most of the people that, that are involved have some place that they might be able to create a garden? I think it really depends. And, and that's why we want to have these different options. So for some people, it might be the the cooking classes that they gravitate towards. And for others, maybe they do want to turn that um, patio or, or whatever outdoor space or maybe even a windowsill into a, a growing space. But Again, we want to make our um, approach as adaptable as possible and, and not make anyone feel like if they're not growing their own, they're not um, doing enough. And I would say, you know, um, the garden is really kind of the focal point of our food efforts, but it's just a piece. So the other pieces are um, our, our diabetes education programs. Um, we offer visits an individual who has a diabetes diagnosis or has prediabetes can go and meet with a, um, an individual to learn more about that disease management. And then they can be connected to food through that too. So we're infusing our, our food work into our diabetes education. We have the um, produce items available in the waiting rooms. And we have a registered dietitian on staff who can support patients with other nutrition needs that they might have. Um, in the next few months, we'll be adding produce prescriptions to our menu of options that we can offer patients that connect food into their more traditional healthcare services. And the way that's going to work is that um, with USDA funding, we'll offer patients um, six-month quote-unquote prescriptions where they'll be receiving produce or they'll be getting vouchers that they can redeem for produce and they'll be participating in different educational activities. We've seen in other places, um, this 
USDA funding is now in its fourth year and similar projects have been going on for about a decade or so. And the impact on, on diabetes in particular has been really significant. So we're excited to see how that can work in the context of Yolo County. And we're excited about how that's going to be a way that we can expand to our local farms. We've been um, working just primarily with our produce that we grow at that one garden in Woodland. But now that we're going to be offering 60 to $80 worth of produce to produce prescription participants every month, we'll be needing to source that elsewhere. And so we're teaming up with a couple different farms, um, Davis Farmers Market, the um, Center for Land-Based Learning's Mobile Market, um, which I know you interviewed last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and I think that it's really in many regards, like the next step for us to further integrate this work into clinical care. You know, it's an interesting branding to talk about food is medicine. Uh, I mean, it is medicine in that it can and it can help people deal with health issues, obviously, and hopefully get better. But it's also uh, protective. It's preventive. It's, you know, all these other things. But it's kind of a catchier way to refer to it. You know, when when you can when you add this little hook that it's a prescription that a doctor prescribes, you feel like it's a sort of call to call to action rather than a shopping list or here's a to-do or here's something you'd be nice for you to do. You should start thinking about having more vegetables, which is not a new message in itself, but it is a fairly new message to talk about it as a prescription for your health. Right. Yeah. Kind of elevating it to that same level as um, medications and pharmaceuticals. I just came across something recently, in fact, a couple of days ago, listening to a podcast about clinical trials that are going on. I believe it's at the University of Iowa, and they're taking several different kind of diet patterns, uh, and they are prescribing it to large numbers of people and comparing what what the diet is, uh, how it's protective for a, a wide range of, of issues. And they've got, you know, uh, paleo diets and, and they've got, you know, the standard as recommended by the USDA. And their main feeling is that they're drawing attention to the fact that how healthy people are and what their health expectancies uh, will be affected greatly by whether or not they've got these, you know, the, the mix of healthy foods in their in their diet. But it's going to be, you know, a clinical trial. It'll be published, and there'll be thousands and thousands of people on it for a couple of years. So that'll be that'll be interesting. In the meantime, people don't have to wait, you know, with what what you're doing. Uh, one thing I'm I'm imagining though too mm-hmm. is that in that people can have a better appreciation, and maybe even grow a garden themselves and see what you're doing with the garden. But some of them, I would imagine. Uh, can run some chickens uh, uh, out there and and add uh, have eggs available to them, to them too. And do you ever think about adding chickens to your gardens so that people could be reminded where they might be able to have uh, produce their own eggs too? I think that would be a really fun um, evolution and one that may just be way too problematic in a clinical setting, (laughs) (laughs) but I I would not be opposed. And I do come from a background of um, animal livestock production. 
So I, I think that all parts can be great and um, contribute to a healthy diet. I also um, feel like our goal is to um, really focus on the fruits and vegetables. And so there are these different dietary patterns and there's different benefits to all of them. And I think that um, anyone who wants to dig deeper can find a lot of those comparisons and contrasts. And it'll be interesting to see what those researchers identify. But having worked in um, clinical nutrition research for about a decade and um, working with global nutrition projects and and seeing um, so many different efforts, in my opinion, kind of um, go down rabbit holes. Um, and I don't want to dismiss or diminish any efforts to better understand and elucidate some of the you know, micronutrient pathways or, or different um, issues that they work to explore. But I think from a prevention perspective, um, I've been working with nutrition education efforts for about 20 plus years and really feel strongly that the um, strongest message we can make is to increase people's consumption of fruits and vegetables. And I think it is important to, to the extent possible, source those from um, places that are using fewer pesticides and that are going to be healthier on the environment and healthier for the people producing them, for the people consuming them. Yet um, for messaging, I really try to stick to eat more fruits and vegetables. I think that um, we can make nutrition, we can make food so complicated that it can lead a lot of people to wanting to give up and, and not wanting to try to understand all the um, uh, trying to cut through the confusion. So um, we try to stick within our programming to a simpler message. You know, I happened to do some research the other night. And I was noticing you could go state by state and even county by county and see like incidences of cancer, for example. And uh, not surprisingly, there was seemed to be a correlation with the states that had the highest rates of cancer and the states that had the highest rates of smoking, which mm -hmm. shouldn't be a big surprise. Uh, but the other thing that shows up when you look at these life expectancies is income. A lot of the zip codes around the country, certainly here in the state of California, have a great deal of difference. So if you happen to be in a certain zip code uh, that uh, you could end up finding the life expectancy is 88 instead of uh, 68. I mean, it's, it's actually not quite that wide, but it's, it's, it's incredible. And I assume that in part that's coming from the fact that there's uh, more and better medical care available to them. It would seem that's like one of the gaps that you're filling with programs like this, looking at underserved communities is trying to make sure that they have as, as long as a health span as wealthier people enjoy. Am I putting too many words in your mouth there? <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it's absolutely um, a big part of what community health centers do more broadly. And um, I mentioned my title is food and wellness lead. So the wellness piece concerns also our tobacco cessation project um, and a health equity uh, focus. So all of that comes together and, and we're trying to work on all of it. Fortunately, I have a great team of people who can help lead those different areas. Um, 
those different foci. But um, I would say that 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 income, although it often does predict dietary patterns and smoking, or that it's often associated with with those um, behaviors that can reduce lifespan, there's so many exceptions. And so I was getting at that earlier that we have um, certain participants in our cooking classes who have so much more experience than any of us that are leading them. And so we're trying to do our best to tap into that um, expertise and to give them um, the leadership opportunity to to share what they know and perhaps even to lead classes at some point. Um, and then there are people who have been cooking their whole lives and are experts in that area and would like to make changes to the way that they prepare food so that it's healthier and so that it's um, not, um, you know, if they have an individual in their family or themselves have just been diagnosed with um, a condition, a diet-related condition, that they can make those changes to continue to eat what they like, but maybe tweak it somewhat so that it's it's a healthier version. Now, given the communities that, that you're serving, are a large number of them migrant or at least, uh, you know, first generation that have come here perhaps as, as farm workers? Um, a, a proportion for sure. And then we also do outreach to the migrant uh, housing centers in, in Yolo County. There's three different housing centers that we work with um, during the time, during the period that um migrant um, farm workers are, are living in those centers. So typically from April through October, we make monthly rounds. So we'll go out to the Madison um, Migrant Housing Center once a month. And there's one in um, Dixon that's actually kind of on the border, Yellow County and Solano County, and another one in Davis. So not only do we serve those patients um, who are working in, in the farms, um, at our clinics, we also are going out to bring services to them. So many of them are working really long hours and just not able to access healthcare. And um, different barriers might make it hard for them to qualify for insurance or to um, be able to access care in, in the way that um, people working in other sectors can. So, yeah, it's, it's available on site with our mobile medicine team. Well, you know, one other thing that, that struck me that was sort of seems to be uh, in conflict with the, one of the earlier points I was making is that if you go to the federal databases, again, you look at, you know, on life expectancy, this type of type of health issues, and they break them down on broad categories of, of race to uh, African-American, um, uh, white, what they call white non-Hispanic, but Hispanic and, and Asian communities. and might surprise people because of so so many of the people that are uh, first generation are coming in as field workers and so forth are Hispanic. But the according to the the data, the life expectancy is higher for Hispanic than what's categorized as, as the general white category, mostly North European. And and I'm I'm wondering if that's the case. It's a combination of there is a real appreciation fruits and vegetables and and also perhaps because there are so many more that are involved in in physical um physical work that in the long term you know maybe maybe is beneficial um it just seems to me kind of something that makes me scratch my head a little bit and think well that's interesting i wonder if that's there's something to that but 
I don't know. Have you heard that before? Well, I've been working with um, questions related to diet acculturation, we call it. So um, moving from a more traditional diet to the standard American diet. And when we, you know, within the nutrition field, talk about a standard American diet, we're typically referring to the ultra processed, um, low in fruits and vegetables diet that you'd get from eating fast food frequently and um, eating other processed foods. So it really varies depending on the diet and often depending on how long a person has been in the United States or how long they're, um, like you mentioned, whether they're um, immigrant first generation and how long um, their family has been away from from whatever country they may have immigrated from. And um, what we're trying to do, um, we have a great food and edu- uh, food and wellness education lead who has been working on different efforts to decolonize the diet and to introduce more traditional foods and, and go back to those traditional recipes. So not making nutrition and um, healthy eating something that's so so white centric in the um, previous decades, I feel like a lot of the recipes you get related to nutrition education kind of assumed that you had to eat quinoa or and I know quinoa is a um, an indigenous crop, but the appropriated quinoa or or um, other whole grains that might not be familiar to, for instance, in our area of Yolo County, primarily a um, population that uh, has a um, originates from Mexico. So really looking at Mexican recipes in particular for inspiration and um, as a source for building those healthy diets. Did you grow up on a farm in Vermont? Did I understand that right? That's right. Yeah. So I actually grew up on a veal farm in Vermont. Um, there were many decades where I would not say that I grew up on a veal farm because it would draw um, instant ire from anyone who I told that right. to. And it probably still does, but um, it's my experience. It's my my story. So um, I have come to a place where I see that as being um, just... Um, providing me that much more familiarity with the way our industrialized food system works. Um, the veal industry is one that is, well, is in decline for sure. But even in the 80s when I was growing up was um, the result of a system that separated male calves from um, female dairy cows and um, had no real use for that byproduct so um, my father came into farming with an interest in being self-employed, being able to make his own hours, um, be his own boss, and um, have a lot of freedom in terms of his his uh, livelihood. And so we not only had veal, but we also had beef and chickens and turkeys from time to time and pigs. So lots of different livestock, um, a huge vegetable garden. We canned a lot of food. My mom um, worked in cooperative extension and also um, had a degree in home economics. So we were kind of the um, the um, very self-sufficient in terms of our food family. And then from that experience on the farm, um, 
I was always interested in food and, um, and actually in vegetables and um, went on to serve as a Peace Corps volunteer and always wanted to work internationally and worked uh, for two years in a return village of um, former refugees in Mauritania in Northwest Africa. So there I got to see firsthand some of the experiences of very low resource farmers and also some of the commonalities that those farmers had to my own experience in Vermont. Um, then I went on to work in Sacramento with faith-based community organizing and I got my master's degree in international agricultural development at UC Davis. From there, I've worked in nutrition education, global nutrition and agriculture projects, um, and now I'm here. What a wonderful background you have. <laughs> and, you. you know, growing up on that farm in Vermont, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you were dreaming ahead that someday I'm going to be, instead of northeastern United States or either northwestern Africa, I'll be in western United States and and uh, doing the sort of thing you're doing today. I, I think it's a it's a wonderful journey. You must feel good about it. Well, I'm really glad that I still get to have gardening as a core component of what I do. I love it. And I also realize it's not for everybody. So I think that's why we try to have as many different therapeutic aspects to our work as possible so that everyone can find something they connect to um, that, that can offer some of those same benefits. But yeah, I... I um, don't think I could go back. It's just so nice to be able to grow food year round. <laughs> oh, that is great. But on the other hand, like kind of listening between the lines mm -hmm. of your having grown up on a farm that had livestock and uh, seems to some some sympathy or understanding for that um, livestock production with the it sounded to me like you were putting a little asterisk by the veal, and I think understandably, it's one of those you grow and learn from from that process. But now you swing all the way ahead to where you're giving, you're involved with showing people how important food can be and how it can play a role of, of diet. Do you find yourself needing to be somewhat, I don't know, agnostic about the, the people that would come to you and say, I, I want to be vegan or I want to I want to be sure I'm a meat eater? I mean, how do you how do you wrestle with that? Because it seems to me like that's one of many areas that are more polarized than ever of those that feel like they just got to be really, really strong meat and they're not that excited about vegetables. And then the other extreme is don't ever have meat or dairy. Um, and just strict, strictly to vegetables. So how do you deal with that? Agnostic, I think, is a perfect way to put it. Yeah. Um, you know, I have my own preferences and my own um, eating habits, but I um, maybe part of it is having grown up on a veal farm and not really wanting to tell anybody what um, my family's main livelihood was for so long. I just... Um, feel very strongly that people should be able to make their own choices. But I, I also feel strongly, again, that um, fruits and vegetables have lots of health benefits to offer people that are not being um, accessed by as many people as ought to be. And so if we can improve that access and if we can do that either through offering the food directly, through connecting people to food benefits, through the produce prescriptions, and sometimes through building those skills, making people, um, helping people be more comfortable with cooking or shopping. We offer some um, 
classes on on how to shop uh, for healthier foods too. I, th- I feel like that's a contribution that I can make and feel good about um, not being overly evangelical, but um, also trying to improve that access. Oh, go ahead. Be overly evangelical <laughs> about that. Okay. And, I'm evangelical about fruits and vegetables, but the rest of it, you... you can choose whatever works best for you. And we'll send you to the registered dietitian if there's a uh, um, concern that you might not be meeting some of your uh, nutrient So if anybody's keeping track of, uh, we have a, a few little different contradictions of things to think about in here. And, and within the last few minutes, we were both able to be evangelical and agnostic. <laughs> okay. And uh, so I, I think I find myself somewhere in the middle there, too, as, as well. But if people want to know more about programs like yours or yours in particular, where do you suggest they go to get further information? Well, we do have a web page within our organizational web page. Um, so if you go to communicarehc.org um, backslash food dash is dash medicine, um, or you can probably just Google food is medicine, communicare. Um, we have some social media that is probably less active than it ought to be. Um, and then for a bigger perspective on what's going on, I think it's really important to look to work that's happening in the Bay Area. Um, I have to admit, I often have a, maybe a bit of a Napoleon complex about some of the ways that the Bay Area always seems to be decades ahead of our work in the Central Valley. But um, we're really taking a page from work that's happened in Alameda County. Um, Dr. Stephen Chen has been working with a program that's called Recipe for Health for some time. And they've been getting their produce prescriptions to many, many patients now, thousands of patients. And they are the first county to be implementing um, a new payment process so that Medi-Cal funds are actually being used for produce. So in our um, project that's about to roll out any day now, we'll be using a USDA grant for a three-year period to get more information about how we can prescribe fruits and vegetables. But what we're really excited about is this future where Medicaid funds are no longer just restricted to pharmaceuticals, but can also be used for produce and potentially other um, what they're calling um, medically supportive food and nutrition services. Wow. So I feel like that's really the future and, and is really where we want to get to. One of the concerns we have as a community moving there is that um, we keep this as focused on smallholder farmers as possible so that we can ensure that um, people's livelihoods are improving, farmers' livelihoods are improving um, from the purchase of those produce items, and that also um, we have some control over the way those foods are grown, because especially in a clinical setting, if we're prescribing them to people who already have a diet condition, a diet-related condition, we want to make sure that the sourcing of those items is as healthy as possible. We know that pesticides are not advantageous to cancer and um, inflammation and all the other things that we're trying to treat. Well, and con- and being where you are in uh, Yolo County, which is in the Sacramento Valley, which happens to be situated in, in an area right around 
UC Davis, one of the top ag schools in the entire world. What a what a great spot to be uh, to be on the ground with a program like that when there is so much you can draw from, and they're continually working at reducing, um, if not eliminating, pesticides and other other components too, synthetic fertilizers and all of that. It's just uh, an ongoing ongoing work, and uh, and your ongoing work is something to be proud of, and I. Edie, I really appreciate your taking the time to share it today with us here on Farm to Table Talk. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It's been great. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 